Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Good morning, Hills Church. How you guys doing? Good? I'm never going to quit saying this when I get up to preach. It's just a good day to be alive right? I'm breathing. Like not everything is even close to perfect in my life, but it is just a good day to be alive because I'm breathing and I'm in a place, a church house that I absolutely love. Every time I come here, you guys are so kind and so gracious to me. And I'm just never going to stop saying thank you. It's worth the 30 seconds right up top to say that. I'm also going to say something that you guys know, but I just want to reaffirm it. I absolutely love your guys as pastors here. Of course, Pastor Jonathan and Lindsay, what a gift they've been to me as I'm growing in my friendship with them. But the whole staff here is just amazing. And the more I'm getting to know them each week uh, that I get to come back each weekend, it's just, it's just cool. So I'm going to do this because uh, Jonathan says I talk too long. I'm going to jump right in. Is that okay? Let's just jump right in. So the Apostle Paul, he says something that I have been uh, meditating on and like ruminating over for uh, honestly several years now because it's just one sentence, but it is packed, maybe two sentences, but it's just packed with so much implication uh, about us and about God. And it says this in Galatians chapter five, verse one, he says this, it is for freedom. Everybody say freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Let's stop there for a second, right? I love that because there's no ulterior motive. You ever have the friend or acquaintances that do some really nice things or always come across really nice, but you just kind of got this gut feeling there's about to be a request from them back to you. Like there's always like it's quid pro quo, it's back and forth. And it, it always kind of breaks a little bit of trust in the relationship, not with us in Christ. Paul says the only motive for everything Christ came down to this world and did on the cross and ultimately shedding sinless and innocent and divine blood was he just wants you free. And I know you probably already know this, but let me just remind us. The reason is, is because at the deepest part of who you are, at the core center of your DNA, we were created and designed for freedom. And we lost it in the Garden of Eden when that dumb piece of fruit and that slithering talking animal started talking lies to us. We lost that one thing that we were ultimately and divinely designed for was freedom. And the whole message of the word of God and the whole message of history between people and God is he is doing everything with relentless pursuit and force to bring back to us the freedom that is rightfully ours. That we lost because of this nasty thing called sin and this nasty animal enemy called the devil. It's just for freedom that Christ set you free. It says this though, then we have a role to play in taking back what's ours. It says, you got to stand firm then. Why? Cause life's going to be difficult. Come on. We know that. Can I get an amen? That's not, I mean, that's as real as like inertia. It's as scientific. Life's just going to be difficult, right? So you got to stand firm then. And then he says this, he says, and do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And, and I wrote here in my notes and I'll quote, I just wrote down, not many things, Hills Church, if anything will cause a person to be burdened again, quote unquote, by the yoke of slavery, than the thing we talk about today, this thing called fear. I promise you when I tell you this, fear is the greatest slave driver of the human soul. Nothing will attack the freedom that you were designed for at your core more than this thing called fear. So I have an obsession with a, one particular animal I've had in about the last five years. Part of it is the state that I lived in for the last 18 years. I lived in Denver, Colorado, and this is a really important animal in our state. But also, 
uh, because of an article I read, and then thirdly, because they just look cool as can be. But I love the buffalo. If you were to go to my office in my house, there are paintings and multiple pictures in my office to remind me every day that I'm in there about the buffalo. I have a cool hat with a buffalo on it. I have a few t-shirts that have buffaloes on it. I am obsessed with the buffalo. And here's why. Again, five years ago, I'm reading this article and they were talking about the unique instincts of the buffalo compared to their other uh, herd animal family, you know, group like sheep and like bulls and like cows and, and, and goats and even elk. They, they had this instinct and it had to do, they said, with storms and when storms come, because as you know, uh, animals can, animals and elderly people with bad knees can smell storms. They know when storms are coming, unlike the rest of us is what we're told. Scientists right? And so they know when storms are coming and when cows and sheep and bulls and goats and, and elk, when they, when they see and smell a storm coming, if they're headed in the direction of the storm, do you know what they do once they smell it? They go, I, I can't do noises. That's my best, but you guys get it. You're like, please stop. And they just start, head, and, and, and it kind of, if I'm being honest, it kind of makes sense to me. They just start heading in the opposite direction of the storm, right? Who wants a storm? And, and let me metaphorically switch it over to this thing in life called the storms of life, right? And can we just be reminded of what Jesus told us in John chapter 16, where he says, in this world, you will have what? You will have trouble. I appreciate his honesty. Thank you, Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. There's a comma there, thank goodness, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell us about storms. They are inevitable. And can I give you some bad news so I can give you some good news? Here's the bad news. You can't outrun storms. You're not faster than storms. You can't outcontrol storms of life. You can't outnumb the storms of life. You can't bury your head in the sand deep enough to get through the storms of life. You just can't because you're not faster than storms. And those herding animals seem to buy into this lie that they can outrun the storm, that they can get away from it for long enough, right? It doesn't, doesn't work, but not the buffalo because the buffalo knows something else. Yes, we're not faster than storms, but what the buffalo knows that the rest of the animals knows is this, but I am stronger than storms. I believe the apostle John, the great sage in his old age, wrote it this way. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that is in me than my adversary, the devil. Greater is he that is in me than any storm that the adversary of my soul tries to leverage to bring fear into my life to ultimately take freedom away from me. So while you're not faster than the storm, you are stronger than the storm. And the buffalo instinctually in its DNA for whatever reason knows this. And so you know what the buffalo does when it sees and smells a storm coming? <laughs> And it, amen, right? Just, I'm getting fired up just doing that. It just charges. And here's the truth about the buffalo compared to its counterparts. It gets as tired running into it as they do, probably even more. It gets as soaked and as wet, probably even more than its counterparts who run away from it. It's as sore at the end of the storm, if not more, than its counterparts that run away from it. But the distinguishing difference between the buffalo and the other animals is that one loses ground 
to try and avoid the storm. And one gains ground by just confronting it and hitting it head on, knowing that it is inevitable. And this, Hills Church, is what we as believers are called to do, called to be, called to walk into and believe. This is an instinct that I believe through the precious blood of Jesus and all of the promises that come with what Christ finished for us on our behalf. This is how freedom is best obtained. And listen to me, you deserve freedom because you were created to be free. See, fear says avoid. That's the lie. Fear says numb. Fear says, again, bury your head in the sand. Fear says try and run away from things. Faith says confront. Why? Because you're that much closer to freedom when you start to confront these things. A man way smarter than me, way more poetic, said this. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson. I like it. He said, when skating on thin ice, your safety is in your speed. And that's so counterintuitive to me. And that, that doesn't make much sense because I'm being honest. I don't make a practice of getting on any kind of ice over water. I'm about to preach in a week or two in Wisconsin. And these guys will get it because they all ice fish. But we're out here and it's 106. So this, this illustration doesn't work as well. But it makes no sense to me if, if something's just icy uh, for the winter to get on it because you, you, you see the news stories, right? It's the one person that got on there and it cracked and they drowned and they froze to death. So I'm not doing that. But if I did happen to be stuck on ice and someone yelled out to me and told me they thought uh, it was about to, to break, you know what my first instinct would be? Oh, sweet Jesus, dear sweet Jesus, please not today. It's not a good day to die. Football season just started. I just got my fantasy football draft done, Lord. I don't want to die right now and I don't want to die in freezing cold water. This is not what I want, Jesus. And I would freeze, right? Panic, fear. And at best, my movement, if I decided to get out of the freeze spot would be this. Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, sweet Jesus. Don't let it break. Please, Jesus. God of Abraham, God of Moses, who we're calling on, the one we sang about, God of David, God of Mary, please don't let it break, right? And I would tiptoe. Here's the irony, though. You're actually in greater danger freezing and tiptoeing your way through the ice. Why? Because you're putting more body weight on each step, which gives it a greater opportunity. This is just scientifically for it to break. When you sprint, or as Walf, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, when you skate across the ice with speed, you're actually every step putting less pressure on the ice and giving yourself a better chance to get out of that really precarious position. But do you know what it takes to sprint on that ice that's going to fall instead of tiptoe or freeze? It takes courage. It takes this otherworldly kind of thinking that says, although it's counterintuitive and it's scary and I'm taking a big risk here, it's actually going to put less pressure on me the faster I confront something, the faster I look into it. And the lie of fear is no, avoid. So I want to do this just for a few minutes. I want to go for the main text to a classic passage on fear. I wish I had a less classic one so it was less known to you and maybe I sounded smarter or gave you a new thought. I don't have that. This is a cliched passage on fear for a reason. It just says so much. And so Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine, just a very quick context. Joshua has just taken over for Moses, his, his, his mentor who had just passed away. These once former slaves from Egypt had just spent 40 years in the desert and they are on, here it is, the precipice of freedom that they've never even thought of or imagined. They are about to walk into this place called Canaan, 
where it says it's just flowing with milk and honey. There is amenities everywhere that they have never seen or experienced before, but something in them, even when they were in Egypt as slaves, knew they were created for a place more like Canaan. And they are finally now, after 40 years in the wilderness, on the precipice of going into it. And so God's about to have a discourse with their new leader, Joshua, because God already knows something about them going into the promised land that they don't know. And it's this, in this promised land, you will have trouble, Joshua, but be of good cheer because I've overcome this promised land for you. So God starts to have this discourse and it's all about courage and fear. And I just want to say this, since this story starts, well, they're on the precipice of freedom. Just, just like if you're taking notes, maybe write this down. Um, uh, if you're not taking notes, just write this down. Fear gets loudest when freedom gets closest. I know this from seeing it narrated all throughout scripture, but I've also lived enough life now that I have seen this to be true practically. Come on, some of you that have lived some life, do you not know that that's true? Fear always seems to ramp up the volume when you are on the precipice of newfound freedom in any area of your life, which is what the enemy does, right? If we really, like Jesus say, have an enemy of our soul, John 10, 10, who wants to kill, steal, and ultimately destroy us, doesn't it make sense for him to attack you greatest when you are closest to the one thing he came to take away from you, which is freedom. The one thing that Christ came to give back to you, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Doesn't it make the most sense that if you want to get the enemy of your soul, the most energized, keep pursuing freedom. He is going to attack it. He's going to do everything within his little given authority that he still has to get in your ear and get as loud as possible. Fear gets the loudest when freedom gets the closest. And God understood this and didn't fully know if Joshua did yet. So this is the conversation they have. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses's aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan river into the land that I am about to give them to the Israelites. Here's the first promise that he gives Joshua. Same promise applies to us today. I will give you every place you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory, next promise, will extend from the desert Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. Next promise, Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all of your days of your life. Next promise, as I was with Moses, Joshua, and Joshua had a front row seat to seeing the promises of God given to Moses and then the promises of God coming to fruition via miracles with Moses. So when God says this, this has huge implication for Joshua. As I was with Moses, Joshua, so I will be with you. Here's the next promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, it's interesting what he says next. He's gonna say next, you see it up there, to be strong and courageous. But that's weird to me on the surface because Joshua had, had got, he was privy to more of the miraculous than all of this room will be ever combined on this side of eternity. Joshua got to see things from the hand of God that next to none of us in this room will ever see. And that's okay. It's not because God loved them more than he loves us now. It's not because he's more active then than he was now. It's because he was liberating 2 million people, right? So the miracles were equal to the situation. 
Joshua had seen so much faithfulness and so many promises of God come to fruition in miraculous fashion. You think when God just tells him what's about to happen, everywhere you go, it's yours. All this land is yours. I will be with you like I was, Moses. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Why would he feel it necessary to next say, be strong and courageous? Unless there was an enemy. Unless a bunch of these cities in Canaan didn't care about Yahweh or even know that much about Yahweh and had spent centuries building and fortifying these places that now God says is going to be the Israelites. You think those kings are just going to hand over the keys because God promised it a God they don't even believe in or serve? God knows this. And so he's telling Joshua, Joshua, here's all the promises for you to stand on and to draw courage from, but you have to be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And it's almost like God's going, I don't think he fully understands how much courage this thing called life is going to take. How much this pursuit called freedom is going to take. I don't think he gets it. So he repeats himself. God says, no, Joshua, listen to me, son, be strong. And now he adds the word very, very courageous. And then listen to what he says next. Cause I want to camp on this for a second. He says, be careful, be courageous, be careful. I didn't grow up ever really associating those two words as being synonymous with each other, right? I thought you're one or the other. I never looked at people who I deemed growing up courageous as also careful, especially as a high schooler. We were at a party once and doing things, high schoolers, please listen to me. Whatever I tell you next, do the opposite because this wasn't right and it's not good and it's not fruitful. But I was at a party doing things I shouldn't do and there were no parents at the house and it was the rich kid's house. So it was, the, it was a pool party and we were all there and we were being stupid and there was a bunch of pretty girls there and I was an insecure little kid. And so at one point we went from diving off the diving board to someone going, someone should jump off the roof, <laughs> right? Boys with unformed brains, Jesus be with them. And everything in me, for the sake of the ladies, wanted to get up on that roof and jump off. Did I? No. (laughs) Did I have a friend who immediately did? Yes. Did we all have a friend in high school who was that guy? Maybe you were that guy? Yes. To me, that kid was the epitome of courage. That was the kid that said, man, I missed my moment because there's something in his brain that he's either missing or that he has that I don't have, one of the two, that just says, yeah, I'll do it, I'll jump. And I used to hate that because I was like, I want to be the all jump guy because he's so courageous. And now that I'm older and my brain is formed and I've lit a little and I have teenagers myself now, that wasn't courage, that was just stupidity, right? Just a boy whose brain hadn't formed yet, impulsivity at its finest. There is a direct correlation between courage, true courage, and being careful. Isn't that interesting? So what's careful look like in the kingdom of God in this pursuit of freedom? He goes on to say, here's how, here's what careful looks like. Be careful to obey. It is amazing the courage that starts to muster up in the spirit of a person that can rest at night because they're obeying. It is amazing the courage we can have to confront really difficult things when you are in a season where you just can stand on your integrity. You can stand on like, I haven't gotten everything right, but I have fought to be obedient. So I'm just going to walk through this difficult season. I'm going to walk through this valley knowing God is with me and knowing I'm doing everything to be careful to obey his holy word, his holy desires, his holy boundaries. 
Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be what? Successful wherever you go. See the correlation between courage and careful? Success. Keep the book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then, here it is, you will be prosperous and successful. So courage needs careful and careful needs commands. I did not purposely do three C's there. I'm not trying to be that pastor, but it just happened, all right? Courage from being careful and you get careful from following commands. I love and have deep admiration and respect. Some of you in here, this is your life for first responders. If you're in here and you're a first responder of any kind, EMT, police officer, fireman, who else are first? I think even people in the armed forces, right? Like first responders, anybody who does a job where you're running into buildings that other people are running out of, I deeply respect you. If you're in here or have family members who are first responders, would you raise your hand? Because you deserve some honor this morning. Keep them up. Be proud. Be proud. Respect you all. But here's the deal. I have a bunch of friends that are first responders. They're not any naturally more courageous than you or I are. It's not why they initially got the job. Do you want to know a big reason? Especially I was watching a National Geographic documentary a couple days ago on 9-11 as we're getting close to another anniversary. And I just got hit with all those images again. You know, those firefighters with those super heavy hoses over their shoulders You could hardly recognize their uniforms because of all the soot and all the smoke that had been covering them, all the ashes. And they're literally running into just a little couple square mile radius of hell on earth in downtown New York City in 2001. And while everybody is in such just chaos, running away from the danger, these people sign up, these EMTs, these police officers, these, these firemen, they sign up to run into it. You know what they're like? They're like buffaloes. And they confront something incredibly difficult. Do you want to know where a great portion of their courage comes from, though? Protocol. And that's what God just said when he said, be careful. And then he says, you want to know how to be careful? Obsess with protocol. Meditate on the word of God day and night. Not to impress God. He could care less about your Bible attendance. He's not up there having a contest for who reads the Bible the most. You don't have to keep telling people you're reading the Bible in a year. We get it. Good for you. Do it. But it's not about how much you read. It's, 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 it's the why. It's the motive. It's, it's the heart, right? We meditate on it day and night. It's why. Because God wants you free. God wants you prosperous. He wants you successful. This Bible is just replete with endless promises, energizing our hearts and souls and spirits to follow and to walk into freedom. And he's saying, you really want to be courageous when the storms come, spend a bunch of time when it's going real well, going over the protocol of the word of God, because it's the hours and hours of training that allow them to walk in with a degree of poise while the rest of us are running out in chaos. You ever been around like a first response, like an EMT when, when something crazy happened and they've come into your house or someone else's house or to the ballpark because something really difficult just happened and they come out and they just instantly start doing their job. They're not freaking out like the parents of the kid that's hurt like I would be if it was my kid. They're not wondering if it's going to be okay. They're just instantly putting protocol into place. That is, that is the beauty of courage. And we have been given this word of God that wants you prosperous. 
wants you successful. It, it, it recognizes, but there's going to be an enemy that wants you to completely ruin your life, to lose freedom, to be enslaved. And his chief currency is fear. But as Paul writes to Timothy, his young protege, God has not given us a spirit of fear, Hills Church, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Power, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Self-control, it's one of the fruits of the spirit. And I want to camp for just a minute specifically on what I think might be the biggest cause of courage that the human soul can have. The greatest catalyst for courage that the human soul can have. And it's the one he put right in the middle. It's love. So God, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. When you're feeling fear, and you will often, that's okay. Just know this. It's not authored by God. When you're feeling fear, it's okay. It's life. But just know this. It's not the voice of God. So how do we, how do we combat it? Love. And I know that's like, what? Like, no, we fight, we get like a war. No, 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 no. When you know, genuinely know, you have a continued greater and greater revelation of how much God loves you, it is amazing the amount of courage the human spirit can walk in when it's time to confront difficulties in life. Don't take my word from it. Again, let's go back to the old sage who wrote this in 1 John chapter four. I love this verse so much. Listen to this. Continue, that's not it. There we go, we got her, love it. There is no fear in love, right? So when fear's happening, you know what's being contested? Your identity in Christ. Know this. When you are feeling afraid, so much so that you want to stop or run in the other direction or you want to ignore it or you want to numb yourself from it, just know this. There is still a whole bunch of love of God for you that you don't fully understand yet. That's good news, not bad news. Right. I know it sounds a little bit like an indictment on the front end because it's like, well, I still fear. But if perfect love is Jesus, he's the perfect love. And I still fear. Do I not have? No, that just means God's love for us is way more liberal than we give him credit for. Sometimes there is no fear in love, but perfect love does what it drives out fear, knowing who you are in Christ, believing the promises of God in Christ. Being unapologetic about speaking good things over your life, over your kids' lives, over your spouse's lives, over your friends' lives. Speaking hope, it doesn't mean that we ignore like, yeah, we need to talk about sin more in the church. Because I, I understand, but only from the place of we confront that so we can add hope and take away things that harm us, Right? Like it's a message of hope. Perfect love drives out fear. We need to constantly remind each other who we are because of what Christ finished on the cross. It's way more powerful than we think. It doesn't just make us a bunch of cheesy kumbaya Christians to sit around and constantly reaffirm what God says about us. He created us. If he says it, it should be the greatest affirmation of our life every single day. Perfect love casts out all fear. And since we still fear, the good news today is that just means we still have a greater opportunity for a more robust understanding of just how much God loves us. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter three, the whole series you guys have just gone through with Pastor Jonathan and the team where right in the middle of his letter where he's preaching such a good gospel about how loving and how good God is in chapter one and chapter two. And then in chapter three, something in that prison cell when he was writing, just dropped him to his knees, he said. And he says, I got to stop writing right now and I got to pray that together all the saints would know 
the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He goes, I pray that you would have a revelation of how high it is, how wide it is, how deep it is, how broad it is. Like he just knew, like it doesn't matter how good this news is if we don't feel and understand just how much we are loved by God. Perfect love casts out all fear. So I was getting ready for this message this week and I titled the message Buffalo Soldiers. So naturally, I just had to turn on some Bob Marley this week and just start jamming out in my office. I just had to. All week, this was me. Buffalo Soldiers coming to America fighting on arrival fighting for survival singing oh, 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 oh. sorry, I just had fun. That was fun for me. A bunch of you guys are looking at me like, what? Just jamming out to some Bob Marley singing that. And here's, here's what's, what's cool about that song is Bob Marley actually wrote Buffalo Soldiers to honor a regiment of men that would eventually, by the United States, get called the Buffalo Soldiers. It, and actually, they would form a regiment in Leavenworth, Kansas was where it started. There would eventually be, I think, at least 20,000 Buffalo Soldiers over wars all the way from 1866 all the way up to Vietnam. And this was a special group of people. But where it originated from was, I, I think there was somewhere around 200,000, I think, African-American men fighting in the Union during the Civil War, right? The most horrific, bloodiest war our nation has ever seen, right? And they were fighting for, for the Union. And the Native Americans in this particular war were unbiased onlookers. I can't speak for them, but I can imagine that they were sitting there going, oh, these, these people that took our land from us are at odds with each other and can't seem to get along. And now they all want to kill each other off. Go ahead, have at it. We'll just watch. Good stuff, right? Like, that's just my take. I'm not, very, I'm not a historian, so don't write that down. My take. So they're watching this war, and one of their interesting observations where the Buffalo soldiers would end up coming from was these African-American men. You got to remember, they hadn't seen black men possibly ever prior to them being shipped over to America. And now all of a sudden, they're watching them in battle, which is what men like to do, watch each other in battle, right? They're watching them in battle, and their first observation was, they look like our buffalo, and they say our buffalo because there's probably not an animal more sacred to the Native Americans than the buffalo. That's like the way we treat dogs, yeah, that's, that, that's buffalo. Like they love them, and they know their instincts, like we talked about earlier. And they looked at them and they said, their hair, their afros, it's like the hair of buffalo. Interesting. But then they said, secondly, and more importantly, they have the instinct of buffaloes. They fight different than the white man. They're like, what, what do you mean by like that? They're like, well, uh, we don't know. But looking back in history now, here's what I imagine. For me, if I would have been fighting for the union as a white man, here's what I would have been fighting for. And this isn't a bad thing. I'd have been fighting for politics. Okay. I'd have been fighting for land. Okay. I'd have been fighting for ideology? Okay, not bad. Would have been fighting for money? Power? Okay, not necessarily bad. You know what the African-American slaves were fighting for? Freedom. As much as money and power and all those things could be nice if used properly, the human soul wasn't destined for that. We wouldn't need money or power or any of those things that get so corrupt if it wasn't for sin in the first place. Those things would not need to have even existed for humans to get along. 
The currency of love would have been enough, right? But that's not the world we live in. All of a sudden, though, when all of a sudden you're fighting for the one thing that the human soul in the deepest parts of its DNA most are designed for, when all of a sudden that's on the line, you get a bunch of African-American men that are told their children and their children's children and their children's children's children might be able to walk in new degrees of freedom if we go out there and courageously put everything on the line for this particular cause. Do you know what starts to happen in those men? thinking about their kids, their wives, thinking about the past decade of slavery, thinking about their bro over there who's got lashes scarred into his back from having a bad day at work and getting punished for a bad day at work. He's looking over at those scars and going, never again. I'm a charge. I'm a run. Because slavery was on the line. If the historic roles were reversed and white people were enslaved, I think we would have done the same thing. I think it's a human instinct, not a racial instinct. This isn't a talk on race. It's for another day, another sermon, another time. This isn't me going, black people awesome, white people bad. That's, that's not helpful. This is me saying when humans and have slavery on the line, which these African-Americans did, it's just the history, right? All of a sudden, <clears throat> buffalo spirit starts to come out. That's why Bob Marley would go on to write that song and to honor them. And I ended with that story because I know there's a bunch of people in here and a bunch of you that, who are listening online today that fear is gripping you right now. And can I say something right up top as I, I, I wrap this up? Fear is gripping you right now. Can I say a lot of times, if you're like me, you feel a lot of condemnation when it's gripping you, especially after you hear a sermon like this where you're like, I want to be a buffalo, but I'm more like a cow right now. I want to run into the storm, but everything in me keeps running away from it. Can I say this, what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8? Can I just remind you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you've been set free. There's the word again, free. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. You are not a sinner now. You're a saint. Death is not your final destiny now. Eternity is. You've been set free from the law, so we don't walk in condemnation. If you're in that place right now and you said, I've acted more like a cow right now than a buffalo, and after your sermon, I'm not proud of it, listen, do not let those voices fester. That is not the voice of God. It's the voice of love from God, and perfect love is what's going to deal with that fear in the first place. I don't want you to feel condemned today. I want you to feel ministered to. I want you to feel loved in this place. I want you to feel built up in this place and lifted up. If you're struggling right now with fear and it feels like it's it's just got you in a state of maybe like freezing on ice or like at best you can do is tiptoe or, or you're heading in the other direction or you've, I've done this before. You just, you just have your little vice and you're numbing like crazy and just trying to disassociate from it. I get it. There is no condemnation for you, but I just want to remind you today from the heart of God, there is freedom for you and it is possible. Do not give up. We are with you. We are for you. Everyone in here is going to go through different seasons and cycles of fear, whatever it is, fear of rejection. Some people make their biggest mistakes of their life because they're so afraid of rejection from others. God's not mad at you. He understands where that came from, even when other humans don't. Some of you, it's fear of failure. That's a big one. That's a huge one. Fear of failure. Man, how the enemy of our soul leverages failure. To bring Can I remind you, because you have been set free 
and are made perfect by the finished work of Christ as a gift, nothing you could do on your own. Can I remind you that because you're a gospel person now, failure is a teacher and not an indictment. Failure now is a mentor. We look at our failures and we go, yeah, I don't want to do that again. I'm going to start smarter. And I get to start again because though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. That's not my word. That's the word of God. So I'm going to look at that. I'm not proud of that. I'm not happy about that, but I will not be condemned by that. I will not let fear grip me because of that. I will not let shame grip me because of that, but I will look it in the face and go, I'm not going to do that again by God's grace because it did not serve me well, but I am a child of God, period. That's the protocol. I am a child of God and I will confront that and I will move on. Some of you, it's fear of the past. Some of you, it's, I feel this one, it's fear of the future. How's this gonna work out, God? What's next, God? I don't know how this is gonna play out, God. God is with you. He has the future in the palm of his hands. He is good and he is for you. May you rest in that. I have to wrap up because I'm gonna get fired again until you bring me back. But I just deeply love this group of people. I pray for you. And I prayed that God would do what only he can do. He can't, I can't preach good enough for any supernatural stuff to happen. It just kind of, I'm just a waiter trying to set a table so the real meal can come and that's from the good God. And what I prayed that he would leave us with today is some breakthrough in these areas of fear. God wants it for you. I pray that a supernatural, holy and divine degree of new courage and holy degree of poise to walk through really difficult seasons with your head held high, your heart out, your shoulders back, saying, let's go, God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So if you could use some prayer right now for just some extra supernatural courage to be infused into your life, your family's lives, your kids' lives, your situations, if that's you right now, would you be kind in church and would you raise your hand because we as the church want to fight for you. We want to pray with you. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Yeah, keep them up. Yeah, keep them up. I know if, if I wasn't holding this mic, I'd have both hands up for this season of life I'm in. Thank you guys for all of your honesty. If you keep your hands up, if you don't have your hands up, we salute the season you're in. We celebrate it with you. Praise God. Praise God. But would you do this because you've got some prosperity right now that, that, that is from God? Would you look at some people with their hands raised and as I pray, would you just draw your hearts towards them? Powerful things happen when we pray together. This is what the church family does. So Jesus, for every hand that was raised, we just ask you as your children. We just come to you as children. And we ask dad, Abba Father, that you would be so kind to these people, that you would infuse them by the power of your Holy Spirit right now with a holy courage, a holy and a renewed desire to be careful with the book of your law, God, to do everything within our means to obey it, to do everything within our means to have a new love for it, to meditate on it day and night. God, I pray for everyone who's scared to even walk out of these doors because of what's facing them on the other side as they walk out of this room, this haven of peace. God, I pray that you would continue to give them a peace that passes understanding that will guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God, we ask this from you and we believe this from you because you are good. And so Jesus, we seal these prayers by simply saying in advance, thank you for all you do, God. I love you and I love these people at Hills Church. So please protect them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.